Welcome to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. I'm Kathleen. And we are from Loading Ready Run. Uh, we're a butcher shop. We butcher jokes and then serve them up online. Uh, no, we're comedians of some repute. I was wondering how you were going to take that back to being something useful. I was just getting sick of saying that we're, we make funny things every week. And I was like, you know what we're, we're going to do this week? No, this week we're a butcher shop. But no, I like how you brought it back. Ha 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 ha. It's good because you butchered the bit I was trying to... No, it's good. We're professionals, you can tell. Yeah, exactly. But we're not here to talk about comedy or meat. No. In fact, today we are here to talk to you about Magnum P.I., which is... Again, it's weird that the show is called Magnum P.I., and he personally resents that term. Right? That's weird, isn't it? But the thing is, P.I. is so much catchier than Magnum Private Investigator. Oh, yeah. No. From a TV standpoint, it's, yeah. a, it's a good name. That's terrible, yeah. But this episode of the Magnum Rewatch podcast is for Magnum Private Investigator Season 2, Episode 2, Dead Man's Channel. Woo, Fe- spooky. Featuring, featuring? N- new theme music. Yes. This actually happened last episode was the new theme music. It's Further not, newer theme music. I mean, it's not dramatically different. It's not like the theme changed the way it did partially through season one. But the Magnum P.I. theme that it went to is not quite the Magnum P.I. theme that people know. This is a little bit more 80s and a little bit more like, wow. In fact, it's got guitar bits in it. Bits of entire guitars. Well, I mean, you can listen. You can hear the difference here. Those hot licks weren't there before. Now, do you prefer this or do you prefer the previous Mike Post theme at the end of season one? Uh, no, I think I prefer this one. This is the, like, the, I think this is the classic Magnum theme we're on now. I had no idea there's so much variation in the Magnum theme, though. It's actually not the classic Magnum theme that we're on now. Really? There's still a further theme? No, we've already heard it. This theme with the hot guitar licks, only used for season two. Really? They go back to the original theme? Mm-hmm. Do they re-record it? I don't know. No. Yeah, I don't know why we only use it for season two. I, I think I prefer the other one better, but... I'm a big fan of hot guitar, though. Fair enough. Are you a fan of hot helicopter pilots? I mean, TC's okay. Well, he's also not in this episode. I know, he's sort of not appearing in this film. Yeah, this is the first episode where one of the main four cast does not appear in it. You know who else doesn't appear in this film? Zeus and Apollo. That's true, they are referenced. Is though. this like budget cuts the episode like some of these scenes cost a lot of money to film so we can't have the dogs or uh rick or tc flip a coin okay tc you're out we had to film an underwater fight scene sorry roger you're not in this episode i think there's just nothing for tc to have done in this episode magnum doesn't need to exploit him to get anywhere it's true because it doesn't involve helicopters it's only underwater yeah it involves boats and apparently rick owns a boat yeah, we should. I guess we should get into the episode. It starts, yeah. in fact, on a boat. Not not Rick's boat. Not well. It, it's the episode doesn't start physically upon a boat. It starts on a shot of a boat. I don't think anybody assumes that if you start watching this episode, you'll be transported magically onto a boat, Graham. I mean, the setting for the initial scene is not on a boat. If it did, I don't think I'd watch Magnum. I'd be too afraid of what would happen next. The boat is abandoned and is sitting in the Nihoa Channel. And the Coast Guard drives up and goes, yep, sure is an empty boat. And a Coast Guard guy gets on board and ties it to the back of the Coast Guard boat and they drag it in. This is like one of the most succinct pre-Magnum cold opens that we've seen. It's just like, this boat sure is empty. Coast Guard sure is empty. Tow it in. Cut to Magnum in a Ferrari. I mean, they can't all be super involved. 
Well, guess who else is in the Ferrari with Magnum? Uh, oh, I know this because I've seen the episode. <laughs> it's a goat. Now, hey, no fair. You're not, you're not allowed to answer. You've seen the episode. You just admitted it. Should we go get somebody else to play the guessing games? All right. Well, we've already given it away. Yeah, it's a goat. It's a goat whose name is Horus. A lady goat named Horus. Now, not like Horus, Egyptian god. Like H-O-R. Do we know? A. No, I looked we, it up. We, we never see it spelled. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Like the name Horus. Yeah, A-C-E. Okay. okay. So H-O-R-U-S. Magnum's going to meet a potential client, but he has to deal with his goat first. The client, by the way, her name is Marion, and she's waiting outside Robin's Nest, and Magnum pulls up with this goat, and she's like, are you Magnum, the private investigator? And he says, yep, just a second while I deal with this goat. And releases the goat into the robin's nest grounds. I mean, this seems like a fantastically bad idea. What's his story? It's that he's taking care of it for a friend because the goat is the pet of like a nine-year-old. And they're like on vacation or something and they need someone to watch the goat. Yeah. So Magnum's watching this goat. Sure. Uh, this whole goat angle I don't like. I'm actually totally fine with it. I, I don't, mean, it makes I for neither, some good comedy. Yeah. I neither like it nor dislike it. I Actually, no. No. I'm going to go further than that. I like it. I would like it if they dealt with it better. Well, like if there was any sort of closure? Spoilers? Yes. Okay. If they deal with the goat at all. Even just a shot of them eating curry later in the episode? Oh, my God. A shot, a closing shot of Higgins and the goat? That would be amazing. Oh, I was going somewhere else with that. But okay, sure. Anyway, Magnum talks to Marion and she has... A problem. The problem is that her father, Dr. Hammond, Professor Hammond, is missing. Uh, Professor Hammond is like an archaeologist, but he works a lot out at sea, and they found his boat, but no professor. They found his boat in the Nahoa Channel, and she thinks that he might still be alive, but she's not sure what happened, because he's normally very careful. He's got hundreds of hours worth of dives under his belt. Yeah, he's an experienced diver and And all of his diving gear was laid out on the boat it was like laid out ready to dive so he never even dove he never even went it was very mysterious very mysterious and oh and she offers magnum she's like i have two thousand dollars of scholarship money to pay you and magnum's like scholarship money huh and she's like well i'm here from ucla i'm doing my phd in marine biology marine biology was a hot topic at this time in the 1980s it was a very cool thing to do and you know what my dad wanted to be a marine biologist. And then he got out there and he's like, God, it's boring. I don't like studying the most dull bits of the sea. So he changed careers. My dad was did work as a marine biologist because it was cool. He thought, I guess he thought it would help him pick up chicks like Marion. UC San Diego, actually. Okay. She mentioned specifically. All right. Yeah. But anyhow, and Magnum's like, well, I don't really want to take your scholarship money. And she's like, well, that's all I have. And he's like, well, we'll worry about money later. Magnum helping ladies in distress. Well, she seems very nice. She does seem nice. She reminds me a little bit of Marion from Indiana Jones, right? She's got the same kind of dark hair and like a like a husky voice. Mm. Not much to tell you about this actress, Wendy Gerard. Just figured I'd mention, because I usually go pretty deep on talking about other roles that you might know them from. And to be honest, Wendy Gerard has not done a bunch of stuff. Her most regular role was she played Dr. Lenore Dudziak in the show Aftermash. Oh, wow. Which was the uh, follow-up TV series to MASH. The, oh, the beloved which TV you would be, show? Which you would be forgiven for forgetting that After MASH was a thing. Or not knowing that After MASH was a thing. I didn't know it was an af- a thing. And most, everybody's most, heard of MASH. Most human beings either don't know or have forgotten that After MASH was a or thing. Or are like purposely avoiding that information. I doubt Alan Alda is aware most days. 
Alan Alda is pretty old. I'm not saying he's senile, but... He seems pretty sharp. Notably, Alan Alda was not in Aftermash. No, I'm sure he had better things to do, like count his mash money. <laughs> Magnum then goes to meet with Marion later on at her dad's boat. Because that's where she's staying. And while he's in the area, figures he may as well say hi to Rick, because Rick is down there on the King Kamehameha 1. Which I thought belonged to the King Kamehameha Club. But according to the DVD subtitles, or the DVD episode descriptions, this is Rick's boat. It is a 50-foot Bertram cockpit motor yacht. I have no idea how much a boat like this would cost, but it seems like a lot. I think this is the club's boat. I know the DVD says it's Rick's boat, but I think that's in the same way that the King Kamehameha Club is Rick's club. I, I don't think it's actually his. Although, how does the King Kamehameha Club have a yacht? They're a very exclusive club. Yeah, but remember they're having money problems in the first season? I don't know. Okay, so they have a yacht for convenience sake, I guess. And Rick, in between Magnum adjusting his fancy handkerchief, he has like a neckerchief and he keeps pulling it to the side and Magnum keeps pulling it forward. Just sort of idly this is happening during this conversation. I don't know what the point of this is. Well, it's just that Magnum thinks it looks better one way and Rick prefers it the other way. It's just like a little... I mean... It's a little friends messing with each other thing. Neither way looks particularly good. No, it's a stupid look, but it's Rick. Even I wouldn't wear this, and I'm a fancy lady. Rick wants Magnum to leave because there's members of the club showing up. But these don't look like regular club members. They pull up in like a black town car. One of them has a gun? Yeah. And Magnum's like, Rick, what club members are these? And he's like, Magnum, don't worry about it. Goodbye. Yeah, it's very suspicious. And Rick just leaves, and you're like, that's weirdly cagey from Rick. I mean, Rick does have some underworld connections, right? So All the way down under the world. I don't know. There's some weird guys. Who else shows up once Rick has pulled away? It's not TC. He's not in this episode. No, it's not. It's Tehani and her friends. Yes. Tehani is a local Hawaiian. She is a lady who's in charge. Yeah. It's never actually made clear who she is or in what capacity she is acting beyond vaguely mystic local woman. And uh, the word Howley gets thrown around a whole hell of a lot in this episode, which, you, which we talked about before. Yeah, if you remember it from our previous episodes, Howley is Hawaiian for white person. It's H-A-O-L-E, specifically foreigner, but usually ascribed to white people because they, I'm sure they have different things that they call Japanese people, but typically just it means someone who's not from Hawaii. And it can be used anywhere from just a descriptor, like polka dotted or corrugated (laughs) to an actual like racial epithet depending on the delivery yeah she says to him in fact i took notes where i got i got the notes off the internet tehani says it's kapu for my people to talk of the channel the niho waters are sacred they belong to kanaloa and magnum says kanaloa and tehani says god of the sea no howley may enter the channel all who do die That's very sort of traditional Hollywood, like, native mysticism, isn't it? Yes, it is. Is any of this legit? Uh, Well, I did a lot of work because the problem being, these words are going by too fast. The Magnum Mania website has some very interesting spelling transcriptions, which are not... Accurate. But after after some research, I did find a whole bunch of things that are accurate and some that are less accurate about this little exchange. But it's important. To the whole episode. Because apparently Kanaloa, god of the sea, has cursed this channel. And any outsider who goes there will die. Now, Kanaloa is legit, right? He is, correct. Kanaloa is the old Polynesian sea god of death, darkness, water, squids, and octopuses. He's sometimes represented as a squid and sometimes as an octopus. He's said to rule over Lua'omilu, the land of the dead. 
Now, I actually found um, a website that had a whole bunch of compiled oral histories about Canaloa. But of course, there's a big note here I have to give that the website gave and tends to be very accurate. A lot of these are oral legends and histories. There are various stories. There are lots of things that overlap. There are some things that are sort of unique, right? Because, you know, each little group of people and like the people living on each island might have had something slightly different. So I have thrown out anything that was extremely contradictory. But here's what I can basically give you. Kanaloa is typically associated with Kane, the god of fresh water or the creator god. In Hawaiian mythology, Kane is the highest of the four major Hawaiian de- deities, along with Kanaloa, Kue, and Lono. So Kanaloa is very important. Mm-hmm. Is so. there a god of volcanoes in the top four? I'm just trying to think, if you live on the islands of Hawaii, saltwater fresh water and the flaming hot magma that comes out of the earth are probably things you interact with more often than other stuff. You know what? I actually just spent my time looking up Kanaloa and Kane because they're a paired team. I didn't look into Ku and Lono and all the other gods because Hawaiian mythology is part of sort of a greater Polynesian mythology. If you're familiar with any of the First Nations legends around here, there's gods and spirits that represent many of the... um, natural occurring phenomenons and animals and everything. So I'm sure they have a volcano god or a god that symbolizes that. However, I don't know which who that might be off the top of my head. Anyhow, like I said, Kanaloa and Kane are connected because Kanaloa is like the flip side of Kane, right? So he's, like I said, death in the underworld. Kane is the creator. But fishermen can also call on Kanaloa for protection if you wanted to go find them. They both live in a place called the Lost Islands, or islands hidden by the gods. Cool. And these islands may be seen on the distant distant horizon, but you should never point at them. And interesting, uh, because uh, Kanaloa is sort of the bad guy and Kane is the good guy, even though they're sort of paired. Kanaloa is described as being tall and fair, and Kane is dark with curly hair and thick lips. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. As I said, Kanaloa kind of the badder god, even though he's one of the very four important gods. Uh, some people think that this reading of it is actually the result of European missionary efforts to recast the four major major divinities of Hawaii in the image of Christianity. So, you know, they had these gods, and then they and then when missionaries came along and started trying to repress Hawaiian culture and religion, they were like, "Well, I mean, like Kanaloa, because he rules the underworld, is like the devil." And so, I think it's really interesting that Kanaloa, the bad god because of, you know, possibly because of Christian missionaries. Also, kind of looks probably more like a white guy than the good god, so I guess these Hawaiians knew that the whitey was out to screw them even back then. Because I brought it up, and I know it's going to be bugging other people the same way it was bugging me, I looked up those other two gods of the four major deities. Mm-hmm. Ku, K-U, is uh, the god of war, and Lono is the deity associated with fertility, agriculture, and peace. Nice. Thought I'd mention that. So the second part of that, the Nihau waters are, are sacred. Yeah, tell me about the Nahoa Channel. The Nahoa Channel, well, doesn't quite exist. Oh. Okay, however. Okay. There is an island called Nahoa. If you, you know how we mentioned that there's a ton of islands in Hawaii a few episodes ago? The northwestern part is all uninhabited. And the closest northwestern uninhabited island is actually Nahoa. And it's on Google Maps, but you have to know where exactly where to look and zoom way in. And there's no street view. And the channel between that and a different island is actually not the Nahoa Channel. There is no Nahoa Channel yeah. that I could find. Interesting. So Nahoa, 
is really far from Oahu. Uh, like I said, it's on Google Maps, but you can't like street view it or get directions to it because there's nothing there. So it's really hard to get an accurate reading without actually me going to the library and getting an atlas and measuring, which I did not have time to do between looking this up last night and recording this podcast. However, I did very roughly guesstimate it by looking at a map that I found online, and it's about 450 kilometers from where uh, Honolulu probably is, is my extremely rough internet guesstimate. So even if that was the Nahoa channel, there's no way they could get out there quickly on a boat. Fair enough. So what is the channel closest to Nahoa? If you're wondering where they might be in real life, well, that would be the Ho'omoa channel, which separates Nahoa from Lahua. And you're like, what island is that? Well, it's the closest island to Nihau and Kauai. My mental picture of the Hawaiian Islands is a complete omnishambles right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I looked at a map. Good for you. Is that is that channel? And I have so it doesn't exist. They made it up for the show. Absolutely. And cool. I have one more piece of trivia for you. All right. I prepared notes. I'm reading off notes. This is the most organized I've ever been for this podcast. And I want everybody to appreciate it. I appreciate you. Spoiler: They go out to the Nihoa Channel. What? I know. And when they're in the boat, where the Nahoa Channel is supposed to be, they're actually right off the coast of Oahu, close to where the Robin's Nest estate is. Oh, you mean like the shooting location? The shooting location. that makes sense. I got one more piece of trivia for you, actually. What? No. Well, because Tahani says, it is kapu for my people to talk of the channel. The Nihau waters are sacred. They belong to Kanaloa. Oh, yeah. I didn't look up kapu. I figured it was forbidden. Uh, Sort of. Kapu refers to an ancient Hawaiian code of conduct of laws and regulations, and it was universal in its application and an offense that was kapu was a corporal offense oh like they'd give you a, a spanking it was strictly enforced the hawaiian word kapu is usually translated to english as forbidden although it also carries the meanings of sacred consecrated or holy it's just sort of like it's you can't do that it is kapu you know how on star trek everything that Worf encounters is without honor yes yeah kapu can be applied kind of liberally like that okay like that is kapu they aren't allowed to talk about the waters, even though they're talking about the waters. And Magnum, by the way, replies in this scene. He's like, really? Because the Navy's been going out on this channel for years. Nothing's happened to them yet. And Tahani's like, everything is done in Kanaloa's time, which is like, God moves in mysterious ways. Magnum's not super worried about it. Magnum is not a superstitious person, apparently, even though he believes in remote viewing and... You know, wasn't completely incredulous during the curse of the King Kamehameha Club. You're just not going to let him off the hook with that remote viewing thing, huh? No! <laughs> I'll be bringing this up when we're recording episodes for season eight of this podcast. We're like, remember way back in season one? Actually, I'll be older then, so... Hey, remember way back in season one, Graham? When Magnum and young whippersnappers said he believed in remote viewing? What a bunch of hogs wall up. It's only going to take us like three years to complete this podcast. Well, people don't know how old I am. I could already be at crone level. Well, I, I appreciate you dialing back the crone for the recording sessions. Anything for you. Thanks. Magnum goes aboard the boat with Marion. They open the door and the place has unsurprisingly been completely ransacked. It's trashed. It looks like a scene out of Snatch. <laughs> don't they trash something in Snatch? What a weird reference. <laughs> That happens in that movie, right? Sure. <laughs> I, everything's kind of messy in Snatch. Exactly. Okay. Magnum looks around the boat, and Marion walks in and finds a photograph of her cut to ribbons and then stabbed with a ceremonial knife. And they have wrecked the tabletop underneath that photo. It is very, very rude what they have done to this boat. Truly monsters. Magnum decides that they should take this knife to a professional so they can try and get a better idea of what it is and who could be threatening them. 
So they take it to Professor Martinez, who is a professor at a school, which you can tell because there's random school classroom bells going off during the scene, which was very confusing. I didn't recall there being bells in university, did you? No. Maybe she teaches at a community college. Maybe? I don't know. She's an anthropologist? Archaeologist? I would assume she's an anthropologist. I think so. It's never explicitly stated, but that seems to be the sort of thing that she's into. They show her the knife and she's like, oh, okay, I think I know what this is. Pretty sure, but let me call in the expert. And she calls in her assistant, Keone. Who's actually Hawaiian. Who I appreciate Hawaiian. that touch. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he knows all about this sort of thing. And he says, yes, this is a ceremonial dagger of Kanaloa and Howleys should not possess it. And then tries to leave the room with it. And Magnum's, Magnum's like, like, nope, uh, still mine. Excuse me, I, that's mine. But it turns out that Marion and the professor don't seem to get along that well. Now, why would that be? Well, they have some disagreements about the validity of her father's work. Right. Because her dad was also a professor of anthropology or archaeology. It's never specified, is it? Not really. They just say but professor. His main thing, this is his big theory, is that different cultures in different parts of the world could theoretically come to the same sort of end results of design or inventions without cross-pollination of ideas between the cultures. If people in China and people in Africa were completely left to their own devices and didn't talk to each other, they could both come to the conclusion that, boy, a wheel is great. Well, the example that she uses is early Hawaiian armor, which she feels is very clearly influenced by Spanish conquistadors because it looks so similar. And Marion's dad, Professor Hammond, was trying to say that he believed that the Hawaiians came up with that on their own, and it's just a similar-looking design they came up with completely in a vacuum from Spanish influence. And for some reason, this really ticks off Professor Martinez, because I guess she has the opposing theory? Yeah, no, Professor Martinez is just like, rah, 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 that's crap. She references her own book. I feel like she's definitely got a horse in this race. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, according to Professor Martinez, Marion's dad was kind of full of crap and has made some discoveries, but not a ton. You get the idea that maybe he's like a, a rogue academic or something. Mm -hmm. We now presume that he was out there in the Nahoa Channel trying to somehow prove his theory. But what could he possibly have been looking for? It's still a mystery. If he was out there looking for archaeological evidence, that's even weirder, because why would you kill somebody about that? Yeah, that's messed up. So Magnum is confused, and he notices that Marion does not like Professor Martinez, but I don't, not much more comes of it other than the fact that this is a ceremonial dagger of Canaloa. And then the bell rings, and Professor Martinez has to run off to class, which is a great time for me to tell you about, I'm going to say, Ina? Balin. Balin? Ina or Ina? I-N-A. How would you pronounce that name? Probably Ina. All right, we're going to go with Ina. This is the actress who plays Professor Martinez. She started acting in the 50s and, in fact, received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress for her performance opposite Paul Newman in From the Terrace. Before you said nomination, I was like, whoa, she's a quarter of the way there to an EGOT. <laughs> and uh, actually has a really sort of interesting connection to some of the themes in Magnum, because a lot of Magnum's personal demons in this show surround the Vietnam War. Balin toured Vietnam with the USO shows, and in 1975, she personally aided in the evacuation of orphans during the fall of Saigon. Oh, wow. And eventually adopted three of these orphans. She never married or had her own children. 
she has these three adoptive Vietnamese children. There was a made-for-TV movie made about her called The Children of Anne Lack. Oh, wow. And apparently, during the making of that made-for-TV movie, she became acquainted with Christy Marks, who at the time was working as a producer for various television shows, and used Balin's story for a character in Gem. Really? Yeah. The character of Ba Ni is based on Balin's adopted daughter, Bonnie, but spelled differently. And Bonnie's obsession with and struggle to find her birth father are the focus of several episodes of Gem and the Holograms, according to this Wikipedia entry. I, I love Gem, or I loved Gem as a child. I bet it probably didn't stand up on repeat viewings, to be com- completely honest with you. But Have you seen the trailer for the new thing? No, I... Uh, it doesn't look great. They're not. They're making a Gem movie? Yeah. I had no idea. Okay. Ina Balin, sadly, uh, passed away at the age of 52 in 1990 from pulmonary hypertension. Oh, no. Brought on by heart disease, which is a bummer. But I thought that was interesting that she was actually present at the fall of Saigon. Luckily, we can rally with some comic relief thanks to the return of Lieutenant McReynolds. Yeah, McReynolds. You'll remember him from being exploited for his naval connections and uh, who was getting McReynolds to get him pictures from a satellite. Here's something really funny. Somebody emailed me these notes, and I did not even think about it at the time. Remember how Magnum was developing the film? Yes. How do you get that film if it came from a satellite? Federal Express? <laughs> it's a pretty good service. See, you know why my mind glossed over it? They don't say they don't go to space. <laughs> because obviously you just download the pictures now. Maybe they just, you know, got out the stepladder and climbed up to the satellite. and It's a very low satellite. Threw a black hood over it, pulled the film canister out the back put a new one in i feel like you have to wind it a couple times you don't have to put a black hood over it it's in space graham oh it's true there's, no, there's very little sunlight i forgot about that <laughs> anyhow that's a gaff from a previous episode but that emailed comment stuck with me afterwards but i didn't have a good time to bring it up until now we've seen mick reynolds he's eating ice cream because he's just been through a breakup he was engaged and then she left him for like a bodybuilder or something a tuna boat captain actually <laughs> that's even worse yeah i eat, mean eat the ice cream McReynolds. you deserve it magnum convinces McReynolds to help him he's he's looking for a list of every boat since the dawn of time that could have possibly gone down in the nahoa channel i have a hard time believing the navy has these records right like, what the hell? And they go back a long way. He's like, you know, for the past, I don't know, X five, six hundred years. years. And it's like, what? Why would the Navy have, why? Okay, sure. So anyway, he convinces McReynolds to help him, like threatens that he knows his general or whatever. It doesn't actually matter. He gets the information and goes back to Robin's Nest to get Higgins to take a look at it. Higgins, by the way, is very confused. Higgins is having a moment. Because Magnum walks up. And actually, he's more like having a meltdown. As Magnum approaches him, you can hear... Horace the goat bleating in the background. <laughs> and Higgins is like, Magnum, do you hear that? And Magnum plays dumb and is like, no, hear what? He's like, it is, un- <laughs> it is unmistakably the call of a kudu. It's a kind of antelope? Uh, yes, the kudu is a woodland antelope found throughout eastern and southern Africa. And it's got crazy horns. They're quite cute. They're pretty cool looking. But he, of course, knows what a kudu buck sounds like 
because he studied them carefully at close range when he was at the Zambezi River somewhere in Africa <laughs> during one of his deployments or whatever. It's not really I'm clear. I'm simulating the random goat noises that pepper the background of the scene. Which Magnum doggedly pretends to, to not hear and Higgins is like, maybe I'm going a little batty today. That's weird. And yeah, Magnum's gaslighting Higgins. Majorly. Like, it's really hugely. mean. It's super mean. So Higgins looks over his notes and is like, oh, that's just, this is interesting. And Magnum goes, what? And he's like, well, there's no native boats. <laughs> oh, that was a terrible goat noise. I'm sorry. I can no. do better than that. No native boats have ever gone down in the Nahoa Channel. And my, meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, or Whitey didn't bother to register them. <laughs> Probably that. Yeah. But specifically, there was... A Spanish galleon Ooh. that went down in the 17th century. And for that, the light bulb goes on over Magnum's head. That's what the light bulb sounds like. Well, that's what the goat sounds like. I just wanted to make another goat. I think I'm pretty good at making goat noises. They sound great to me. I don't know how they sound in real life. They're not great. Really? Oh, no. I thought I was good. Oh, crap. Is this like my ability to burp on command is not as good as, you, as I think it is? Because I've always been impressed by it. No, the ability to burp on command is stellar. You're still burping on command. Can you burp on command? No. Well, there you go. No, that's the thing. You're way better at burping on command than me, and good job. But it's still a the, really the, terrible skill. To the have. burps, the, the quality of the burps themselves is different from being able to do it. Anyhow. I actually thought your goat noise was fine. Okay, thanks. I was just giving you a hard time. Thank God. Higgins says that maybe he's had a little bit too much whiskey and he goes inside while Magnum realizes, oh my goodness, there's sunken treasure. Because realistically, why the heck would you murder an archaeologist unless he was about to find something worth a lot of money and you wanted to get there before he did so you could have something worth a lot of money? That makes a ton of sense. So, time to go get the sunken treasure. So Magnum gets Marion and gets Rick on side because he's going to split the sunken treasure with Rick, obviously. And they get back on board the King Kamehameha One, and they're about to cast off when a man in a Hawaiian shirt and traditional Hawaiian mask, carrying a traditional Hawaiian knife, makes a traditional Hawaiian lunge at Magnum. <laughs> it's a traditional Hawaiian club. Oh, it's true. It's not the knife, it's the club. He he hits Magnum over, the, gives him a firm drubbing on the back of the head. Yeah, and Magnum like drops like a bag of rocks into the water. So and then Rick runs down and leaps at the at the assailant and knocks him into the water. And then, just to fit in, Marion's like, well, I guess I'll jump in too. No, no, she dives down because she knows how to dive, because her dad taught her how to dive, and gets Magnum, because Magnum is sinking like a rock. I know, but it, it's just, it was funnier the way I said it. Uh, yes, but less accurate. <laughs> Fine. So Rick pops up, Marion pops up, she's got Magnum, Magnum's okay. No sign of the other guy, until the scene cuts and we find out that he is in fact drowned, because I guess he sucks at swimming? He got startled. Maybe he didn't mean to fall in and then he like... He certainly didn't mean to fall in. Slipped? Rick, Rick knocked him Hit in. his head or something? No, Rick knocked him in clean. But they, they did make some sort of idle reference to, you know, I'm glad you were there or else I would have ended up like him. I guess implying that he had drowned or something or maybe the impact on the water. I don't know. But the assailant, his mask came off. You know who it is? It's Keone. Oh my goodness, it's... It's Professor Martinez's assistant. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Now, At this point, I figured out the episode. Rick, That's good. Rick managed to smooth things out with the police with the standard, don't worry, we won't leave town things. And uh, Marion says, well, what, are we going to get back out to the channel? What? And Magnum says, not while the police are literally still on the dock. Are we going to then drive away in a boat? 
because that looks suspicious. Also, also, maybe Magnum shouldn't go out diving after being clubbed in the head to unconsciousness. He's, he's maybe a little concussed. Maybe take it easy for a day or two before you go back out there. So in the meantime, maybe let's go talk to Professor Martinez about her crazy assistant. And why she might try to kill Magnum. Magnum is super, super sure that there is something very valuable out there now because this is nuts. Yeah. Probably two people have been murdered at this point. For her part, Professor Martinez is in disbelief that Keone would do anything like this. Because, you know, he's been her assistant at the school. He's normally so quiet, maybe a little reserved, but whatever. And I don't know what he could possibly have to gain from this. She has a picture of him, like a framed picture of him, which is weird. I don't even have a framed picture of uh, one of my cats. I love my cats. You absolutely do? I guess there's one here, isn't there? No, it's at home. You have the the drawings that uh, Kate got Nick to do. Yeah, but it's not a framed photograph. Okay. The point being, who has a framed photograph of their assistant? Maybe he's... It's his office. Who puts up a photograph of themselves in their office? This guy tried to kill Magnum. He's obviously a little little weird. I think it's a really, really strange detail. It's like the producers thought that they needed to remind us of who this guy was. As if we wouldn't get it from the context of the fact that we literally just saw him. You know this guy? The guy you saw alive in the same room. Why is it there? I don't know why it's there, nor do I know why Magnum asks if he can borrow it and then takes it out of the frame. And then doesn't take it. It never comes up. He's no. like, He's like, hey, can I borrow that? And she says, yes and then he just removes it from the frame dismantles the thing and takes the picture by itself but doesn't actually it doesn't matter anyway magnum does however pull out from under his desk pad a map with an area of the nehoa channel like highlighted in red with a little circle and an x in the circle huh and professor martinez is like what and magnum's like what well and then magnum tells professor martinez he's like i think there's a spanish galleon out there and martinez is like oh that's so much like hammond to find something that would back up my research and then not to tell anybody and it's like, really? That's where you go to after all of this, after two people have probably been killed? She's oh. really salty about it. Oh my God. Some people have terrible priorities. At this point, by the way, it should be mentioned that Marion has come to terms with the fact that her father is probably super dead. Well, considering they were randomly attacked. Twice. Point, she's going through her stuff and she, she was like, my dad never, I was never good enough for my dad. I even learned how to do all the water things that he liked so much, like just diving into it and the learning about the animals that live there in the water. Her stole is never good enough, but then she finds all this, oh, I found all the things that uh, my dad and his photos of me and all my report cards, and he kept it all, and he really did love me, but he never told me. It was very sad. I I like that scene. I know. It was actually well acted. I'm just, like, skimming through it. Fair enough. So... From there, Magnum goes back to Robin's Nest, where he finds Higgins, who's now pretty convinced that it wasn't because he was drunk that he was hearing this kudu buck, <laughs> and is now armed with a rifle, and is going hunting, and still can't figure out what, how this kudu got onto the acreage, but boy, is it ever going down, and Magnum's like, please, you can't, you can't kill it, because it's not, it's not a kudu, it's, uh, it, it's a goat. Its name is Horus, and you can't kill an animal once you know its name. To which Higgins replies, how did a goat get on Robin Master's estate? Wait, I withdraw the question. Remove the creature immediately. (laughs) And Magnum's like, look, just one more day. I need to take care of it. Um, I will. I'll give up uh, the tennis courts. Higgins says, you don't have the tennis courts. 
Magnum says, well, then I'll give you a share of the sunken treasure. And Higgins is like, sorry, what? And Magnum explains the whole case and how he thinks that this guy was killed because he had found a galleon. And Higgins is swayed by this, not for his own personal profit, but because he would like to give his share of the treasure to the British Museum. That it's not, it's made clear that that's not maybe the first place he went. He's like, ooh, money that I could use for good things. Higgins is human. He's allowed. Yeah, but he comes to the charitable conclusion at the end. Yeah. So Horace the goat gets a one day reprieve. So he can continue eating all of Higgins' tropical flowers. <laughs> Thank you. Magnum goes back out with Rick, just with Rick, out to the Nahoa Channel. Marion's still kind of sad. Magnum's pretty sure he knows where they need to stop. Well, considering he found that map with a freaking X on it, like... Yeah, he dives overboard, starts looking around, finds like a, a jug, like a plastic jug tied off as like a float so you could see something. And near there, he finds this stone tablet with some carvings in it and is like well it's not sunken treasure but this is kind of cool and hammond was an archaeologist so maybe this is what he was looking for but why would you kill somebody over an artifact and only after resurfacing and sort of lying to rick about the nature of the treasure so that rick won't be upset that he's not getting half of a bunch of doubloons or bullion Spanish gold. Yeah, he basically tells Rick, he's like, no, don't worry, you'll get your share of the thing. And then they go talk to Marion, and he's like, so, um, would someone perhaps try to kill your dad over a tablet that maybe showed uh, ancient Hawaiian armor dress from before the time of the Spaniards that totally backed up his claims? And Marion's like, I guess. I mean, that seems ludicrous. Why would you kill somebody over an academic quibble? But I don't think she quite said that. I think you're projecting a little bit. Yes, she agrees. So they go back out. So Magnum and Marion and Rick are back on the boat. They're out on the channel and there's another boat there and it's empty. So Rick hops onto the boat because they pull up beside it. Or at least a stuntman who looks very much like Rick from behind. That's true. And he investigates and he finds the boat is empty, but it's filled with bomb making supplies. (laughs) Excuse me? Yeah. Like timers and detonators and stuff. Wow. Which, by the way, Rick is also like, oh yeah, this is bomb making stuff. And you're like, how do you know this? Rick? I wouldn't know that. I'd be like, there's a bunch of clocks here for some reason. I mean, he is the weapons guy. Oh, that's true. He's been in the military. I haven't. I don't... It's not necessarily because he's been in the military. I don't think there's bombs 101 at basic. (laughs) There might be. You've never been to the military either. We don't know what they learn. That's true. If you've been to the military, right? Graham, I know bombs better than you care of. Magnum Rewatch Podcast, Canada. I, I don't need to receive emails telling me in fact please don't email me about how good you are at making bombs (laughs) let's let's just put that one to bed right now that's not an email i want to have in my email you should send in fact it's probably worse for you don't send those emails (laughs) just i know you're fired up an email you're halfway if you really want you can delete it walk away (laughs) If you really want, you can send me a tweet and just be like, hey, Graham, about the latest Magnum rewatch, I was in the army and I totally know that thing. And then that's that's the best. The best would probably be that we never talk about it again. But if you have to. Anyway. <laughs> so Marion puts her scuba gear on and Magnum's like, you're not going down there. And Marion's like, the hell I am and dives over. And Magnum's like, whoa, women and dives over himself. I don't think he goes, whoa, women. I think it's, he's just it's, like, uh, it's hard to tell. He's got the scuba thing in his mouth. Yeah. And uh, he, he says in narration, she is as stubborn as her dad. Which we're assuming is very stubborn, because Magnum's never met him. Well, I mean, this guy did get killed, so he's probably pretty stubborn. Oh, yeah, that's so stubborn of him to get murdered. (laughs) 
If that's a one-to-one correlation, I'm amazed you're alive. <laughs> I could die at any second. How did she die, doctor? Real stubborn. <laughs> when they get down there, they find Professor Martinez planting a bomb on this tablet. She is so attached to her probably poorly read, thin academic tome that she not only killed Marion's dad, but she's going to blow up a priceless artifact. Is she like on tenure track and can't be like discredited or something like that? This is nuts. Why would you do this? What a crazy lady. Speaking of crazy ladies, I realized that there's a scene that we didn't talk about because it was completely useless and didn't affect the story in any way. Oh, right. Where Magnum goes to talk to Tehani again. And he's just like... Oh, she... Well, first of all, she's waiting there like a JRPG NPC. Yeah, she's just standing there looking at the beach. Looking at a canal. It's not even the beach. Yeah. He just walks up and she says, there's many dragons at the castle. And he's like, okay, and leaves. Like, what? what is their actual conversation? I think there's something out there. And she's like, don't go out there. It's not for white people. And he's like, okay, and then leaves. And she's like, great. And, and goes... And like turns back around and goes staring at this canal where nothing is going on. And no boats are going back and forth. Presumably till the next adventurer comes up. I don't know what her stake in this is apparently she is part of a Kanaloa cult they they call them cults they don't mean like cults in the way that we typically know a cult from media you know like a not like the Harry Krishnas no this is like you know just people who follow specific Hawaiian deities and apparently she thinks that Howley shouldn't go to the channel and she's really concerned about it it's unclear on what her stake in it is at least Professor Martinez has some kind of easily explain motivation even if it is dumb but anyway so they get a knife fight that's fun well she tries to stab at magnum and magnum is like whoop got your arms and uh <laughs> she's not super effectual because magnum is much bigger and stronger than her and then marion swims up behind her and pulls the ripcord on her auto inflating surfacing vest so she yeah. goes whoop and magnum is like you go with her i will stay here with bomb and marion goes okay and goes whoop and follows her up. Rick helps Dr. Martinez on the boat, and then Marion gets on the boat and tries to attack Dr. Martinez, and Rick basically is like, whoa, whoa, everyone chill out. I think that Rick would not stop a cat fight. I think he'd be like, okay. It would be very one-sided. Professor Martinez is super out of breath and bogged down with all of her scuba gear, and Marion had just ripped all of hers off and lunged wildly across the deck. She's got murdered dad anger on her side, it's true. Yeah. So Rick manages to keep the piece up top, and he says, where's Magnum? And Marion says, down there, with the bombs. Or, well, bomb. Bomb. And they're like, uh-oh, and then you see a... And all the water, like, spews up in one spot. And they're like, oh, no, Magnum. And then Magnum appears on the boat behind them and is like, hi, guys. That's that's actually a very accurate description of that scene. Thank you. I remember it because I saw it last night. You can tell because of the DVD transfer that it's stock footage of an explosion because it's really, really beautiful, crisp shots of Rick and Martinez and Marion on the back deck of the boat and then the reverse angle is very grainy it says reverse angle of grainy ocean and then cut back to the boat really nice and crisp reverse angle of grainy ocean with explosion cut back to boat very crisp probably wouldn't notice on television no but we notice we notice it all and that's basically it for the episode yeah after that scene we cut to a shot of the tablet now pulled ashore being hosed off and it looks really cool and there's ancient hawaiian carvings on it and tahani is there and she's like i'm okay with you now because you saved uh this kanaloa thing i guess you you saved like an ancient hawaiian thing so kanaloa is not angry with you anymore kanaloa gives you a free pass yeah so keep on being white Presumably Martinez has gone to jail. I would hope so. Marin comes out and gives him a hug goodbye. And she's like, thank you for everything. And it's like an actual heartfelt hug. It's, it's a really serious hug. 
Magnum clearly has developed some soft feelings for Marion. She's like, what about your fee? He's like, eh, don't worry about it. And then he goes over to say hi to Rick, who's now wearing his stupid neckerchief again and has all the weird dudes on the boat. And Magnum's like, what? What is this? And Rick says, look, just just, just cast off for me, would you? Don't even worry about it. So Magnum goes to the bow and casts him off and then leans over so he can look in the window of the boat. And they're gambling. It's offshore gambling. It's just a place for these presumed ne'er-do-wells to come and have a gamble in a place that's not enforceable and secret. Right, with so, real money and stuff. With, with, with real money. So, I, so yeah, exactly. You, you mentioned Underworld Connections. Rick is just, you know, he's, this is a little, little under-the-table action. Side business for Rick, I guess. Get into my boat and lose your money. Do, 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 do. Well, Rick is presumably just being paid as a venue. He's not actually participating in the game. No. But in his excitement to look through the window, Magnum hasn't realized the boat has started to move away from the dock, and he now has his hands on the boat and his feet on the dock and is being stretched further and further, and then he slips and falls into the water between the dock and the boat and freeze frame end credits. Okay, see, this is why I don't like that goat thing, because it doesn't get resolved. Presumably it either gets returned to its owner or Higgins kills it. And I guess Higgins is fine with not getting a share of the treasure because there was some cool history thing that was found. And yeah, the thing Higgins that was discovered okay was with that. archaeological significance. So I guess Higgins is fine with it? I mean, I feel like out of all the people involved, Higgins is the most fine with something fancy and of archaeological significance. I thought this episode was fine. I thought it was also fine. I'm glad we agree. Until next time. We- well, no, hold on. <laughs> okay, so this episode had no problems. Uh-huh. It had an okay twist. No problems apart from the sort of the mystical native trope. But I mean, like, it doesn't have any construction issues. Oh, no. I mean, I guess it was kind of necessary just so you could be like, oh, there's a curse. But I think they could have handled it, but I don't know. I feel like in the original screenplay, there's a payoff for the goat. I would hope and it so. Would, and it just got cut because the episode was running long or something like that. The writer for this episode, by the way, Diane Frolov, was nominated for a Writers Guild of America award for her later work on the sixth season of The Sopranos. So she got better. This is her first television screenplay. This is pretty decent for that then. Yeah. There's nothing terribly wrong with this. Nope. It's just not great. It's not as good as many of the episodes of Magnum Season 1. Yeah, we feel that Season 2 is not starting off as strongly as Season 1 was. What did I give the last one? A 6? I I think. Give this one a 7? This one's better, yeah. But it's not amazing. I'm not like, wow, this was great. I loved it. Or I did not see that coming. Or that was really elegantly written. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I'm looking forward to next episode, The Woman on the Beach. I mean, that description could mean anything. It could mean any number of things, actually. We've seen a lot of women on beaches already, and we're only 20 episodes in. Yeah, there could be anything with that. I was actually pretty excited for Dead Man's Channel, just by the name. I'm going to temper my expectations for season two. Fair enough. I mean, the show went for eight seasons, so presumably it picks up. I mean, I hope it just doesn't settle into this, because this is fine, but not incredible. Like, there's some really good episodes in season one that made sitting through the bad episodes okay. Mm-hmm. I think if this show just settles into being average, then I'd be less inclined to keep watching it. It would be disappointing after such a strong start. It might be that I think the first season of pretty much everything is the best. My favorite season of Red Dwarf, first season. Can you find me examples other than Red Dwarf? Because, like, one of our favorite tv shows combined our favorite shows is next generation and season one was not good oh season one is absolute garbo you're right i think regardless we're looking forward to seeing what the rest of the show brings so let's do our count updates i don't think we updated anything no murders without consequence no self-aware looks at the camera this episode either no well now no murders without consequence the magnum committed rick did knock that guy into the water and he did die 
Yeah, but those, these are Magnum murders. We haven't counted them when other people have done them, so we should That's count true. them when Rick does them. That's true. That's fair. There was okay. no unsafe running tips. <laughs> Thank God. That's the most dangerous Christ. of them all. And while I think the native mystical not white people were problematic, they weren't racist. They're just like, oh, that trope. Mm, yeah, it was okay. I don't know enough about Hawaiian culture to be definitive, but it wasn't insulting. I don't think so, but I don't know. That's that, that's the thing. That's why I'm like, do Hawaiians look at this and see what the First Nations see when they look at the depiction of like of an Indian with the feathered headdress being like, how pale face? Like, I don't know. I'm not right. That's that's the thing. I don't know. I'm not Hawaiian. I, right, that's what I'm saying. I don't know how if it's bad or not. It feels like it really could be. I don't know. That's why I am reserving judgment for later. Then I'll come in and say, I reserved uh, judgment. We heard from an expert. Judgment for two, please. I would like, yes, you can see us right away. Lovely. Okay. Then we'll be seated at our judgment table from where we will judge. Well, we have to have a judgment sommelier, though, is the thing. It's important to reserve judgment well in advance. You'd think that the internet has tons of judgment to go around, but actually not as much as you'd think. Speaking of the internet, our ability to do this podcast for you is brought to you by you and your kind support of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. We super appreciate it. It doesn't just support this show, but in fact, basically all of the shows that we do on our website, loadingreadyrun.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash loadingreadyrun. So check that out and we would super appreciate your support. And we do appreciate the support of those of you who already do that. So thank you. Until next time, Zeus, Apollo, get that goat. That has the added bonus of being a Harvey Birdman reference as well. How's that for a goat sound? It's pretty good. No. Better. Better? So more low? Is that what I sound like? No. Like I don't, They sound so good in my head. Like, when I listen to my voice in my head, I sound amazing. And when I listen to my voice on, on camera, I sound like Fran Drescher. So... Okay, goat off. You go. Wait, that one wasn't very good. Hold okay. On. No, that was bad too. Now you've stressed me out. It's very stressful. If I may? Yes. Ah! Okay, you win. Yay. <laughs>